This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making Space a Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole, and this is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while creating a lasting relationship with diverse people. The topic for this episode is transgender leadership and politicians. I am very, very excited to introduce you guys to our guests this week. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about the history behind transgender folks in in politics. I know we've talked a little bit about uh, LGBTQ plus people in politics before, mostly that being gay, lesbian, and bisexual people in politics. However, we have not touched on trans folks yet specifically, which I think is a a huge identity that we need to touch on that is really relevant to uh, what's happening today and especially what's happened in the latest election uh, closest to this recording in November of 2020. So the very first transgender person to be elected into office is Danica Rome. She is an American journalist and politician of the Democratic Party. In the 2017 Virginia elections, she was elected to Virginia House of Delegates. She was the first openly transgender person to be elected to the Virginia General Assembly and in January 2018 became the first to both be elected and serve while openly transgender in the U.S. state legislature. In August of 2017, during her campaign, she was endorsed by the Human Rights Campaign, something that we've talked a little bit about before in our previous LGBTQ plus episodes. They're an incredible organization that helps LGBT folks, helps get resources out there. And also in October of 2017, she was endorsed by the now president-elect Joe Biden. In September of that very same election year, Rome was videoed saying something really, really inspiring and uh, very important. She said, there are millions of transgender people in the country and we all deserve representation in the government, which I think is very incredible and very, very true. As previous elections have shown, we do have a lot more representation now than we did before. Transgender folks, LGBTQ plus folks, people of color, it is just continuing and continuing to be more diverse. And I really, really like that. And it shows how diverse the country really is. Unfortunately, folks in politics and in the country still don't necessarily recognize transgender folks and Danica's campaign. Her opponent did try to use her gender identity against her, refusing to use her pronouns and refusing to debate with her, which she responded by saying, identity shouldn't be a big deal and this is just who I am. Of course, throughout her campaign, she did receive a lot of positive and inspiring messages as well. And of course, she did end up getting elected. So now that we've talked about the first transgender politician in the United States, we can talk a little bit about the more recent elections in November 2020. As of the November 2020 elections, we have our very first openly transgender state senator. Her name is Sarah McBride, senator-elect for Delaware. I think this is a big win for trans folks out there in the LGBT plus community. I am so excited now that we've talked a little bit about that to get to our guests for this week and I'll introduce them now. 
Hello, everyone, and this is Cole from Making Space and Tarleton Radio Station. I am here with Representative Lisa Bunker and Representative Brianna Titone. Uh, thank you guys both for coming in and or, or showing up uh, to interview with me. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for having us here. And uh, Representative Lisa Bunker was elected to New Hampshire House of Representatives in 2018 and recently won re-election in November 2020. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And you also, as of last year, released your second novel. Isn't that correct? That's also true. I have two published works for um, middle grade readers, kids basically who are middle school age. And that has a lot of LGBTQ plus representation from what I could scrunch from your website. Yes, yes. Um, I, one of my missions as a writer is to add to the body of works in which young people can see themselves, um, young rainbow humans can see themselves in fiction. Yeah, that, that's really, really important. And I really appreciate that for sure. Now, Representative Brianna Titone assumed office in the Colorado House of Representatives in 2019 and was just reelected this year as well. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you also not only have interest in LGBTQ plus advocacy, but also in environmental issues, which I, I found really, really cool and interesting, especially being in Colorado. Well, I'm, I'm a geologist, I'm a geochemist and uh, worked in the environmental industry. Uh, really understand uh, when people talk about climate change, you know, that's mm -hmm. my, my wheelhouse. I mean, I didn't study the climate specifically, but that was a big part of understanding the Earth's history and, uh, and all of the processes that go on, and, and that's right in my wheelhouse. Right, right. All right, well, we'll hop off of that. And uh, since you talked about being um, a geologist and now have kind of moved into politics, could you tell us what moment or experience really inspired you to run for state legislature? Yeah, they, uh, it, it was kind of a, a long history for me of public service. I started out uh, in service to the public as a volunteer firefighter when I was 16. Uh, I lived in a small town in New York and uh, joined the volunteer firefighter as a junior member and served uh, as a member of the fire department for about seven years. And during that time, I really understood, you know, when the, the call for service happens, you show up, you do the work, and you go home and you do what you need to do mm -hmm. uh, for your own life. And that was something that uh, was really important to me. And I always found volunteer opportunities uh, throughout my life, uh, whether it be the HOA president or uh, I, I serve as a member of NecroSearch. We're an organization that helps law enforcement find clandestine graves uh, to solve cases. Uh, anything that I could do to try to be helpful and, and leave a, a legacy behind me was something that was important to me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be an FBI special agent. Uh, that's oh, wow. what I originally wanted to do. Um, and it's a, it's a hard job to get. And okay, I didn't sure. get that job. And after that happened, uh, that I didn't get the job, um, that's when I really came to the conclusion that I needed to work on myself, that I was sacrificing my own happiness for uh, the work that I do and, and the careers and the opportunities that were afforded me because of the privilege that I had. And once I realized that, you know, that dream was gone, that I needed to shift gears and then I came out as being trans and being a trans person gave me the idea that 
you know, if I was going to be someone who was going to step up for the community in a way that an FBI agent would, then I can step up as an advocate and as, as, uh, as someone who is uh, advocating for people in the community. And then that just led to the politics. And someone said, you should run for office. You're really qualified and uh, you, you do a really good job. And I was like, okay, all right, let's try it. Yeah, let's just give it a shot and maybe you'll get elected. And you did. And it has been amazing representation for trans folks out there. Um, so Representative Bunker, will you uh, answer the same question? What moment or experience really pushed you to run? Um, well, like Brianna, I have a, a long history of um, public service of one form or another. I feel like that's an important part of being alive in the world is to find ways to help other humans. Um, and for a long time, I did that through my work in public broadcasting, public and community broadcasting. Um, I worked in that field for three decades, um, most recently as the program director of a community radio station in Portland, Maine. And it was sort of hardcore old school community radio. Almost all of the programming was done by volunteers. It was wildly mm. eclectic. Yes. And I was the program director and chief trainer. So I trained a couple thousand people, literally, mm -hmm. to express themselves freely on public media. And that made me feel really good about contributing to my community and to ideals of free speech and democracy. Um, about five years ago now, I finally stopped working in that field. Um, I switched over to working full-time as a writer, as an author, um, which I love. It's what I've wanted to do since I was five, but it is more, um, it's lonelier work. Um, it's more, more isolated. And I still felt, you know, I, I felt like I was doing good putting stories in the world with um, LGBTQ children in them. Um, but I wanted to do more. Then the 2016 election happened, and like many other people, I was horrified by the results of that. Um, and I spent a year thinking about what could I do to contribute to the fight against what I saw as a kind of rise of neo-fascism in our country. Um, I had thought in the year 2016 of running for office, um, but I self-selected out because I assumed as an out transgender person, I would not get elected. Mm. And then Danica Rome got elected to the Virginia General Assembly in 2017. Um, and that electrified me. I just, if, if she could do it, I could do it. I and mean, I started looking into what it would take to run for office. And it turns out it's surprisingly easy in New Hampshire to run for the New Hampshire House of Representatives. We have a, a body of 400 representing 1.4 million people. So that breaks down to about 3,500 constituents per rep. Wow. Um, it's a truly local office. And unlike Brianna, um, I didn't hire a staff or have to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything. I raised a few thousand dollars. I got signs made and printed a pamphlet and knocked on a bunch of doors and I got elected. Um, so it's, uh, it, it does turn out to be easier than in many other states, mm -hmm. not to downplay the achievement uh, because I think it's really important yes, that sure. um, following uh, Danica's victory in Virginia, we had you know multiple other people coming up in the next year and even more now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very exciting to be part of, of the wave, um, the, the early wave. I'm, I'm glad somebody else went first. I think Danica mm -hmm. is honest to God rock star and she carries that, yes. that banner so well. Um, and I'm very happy to be in the second wave, right. um, bringing up uh, what I hope is just sort of a permanent change in mm -hmm. the representation of trans people in governance in our country. 
I hope so as well. We definitely need uh, more representation for more folks out there because it, it certainly isn't as uh, set in stone as other people think. We have uh, so so much diversity here in our country and we need to really, really have that shown uh, visibly. So I'm going to ask both of you this. Uh, how has your gender identity affected your career, sh career as a politician? I know... Um, Representative Bunker, you said it kind of affected whether you thought you could be elected, but are, are there other ways that you feel it has affected you? Um, it hasn't been that much of an issue for me. Um, I, I followed Danica Rome's lead in not running on my identity. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't run as a trans candidate. I just ran as somebody who wanted to help represent my town in state government. Um, and I certainly have been involved in some legislation that, that goes along with my identity and my membership in the LGBTQ community. Um, I helped to pass legislation to, make, to create a non-binary marker on state IDs in our last term. Really? Um, and we also, um, in the previous administration, um, and I want to give credit where credit is due, on, in a Republican legislature with a Republican governor, we mm -hmm. did pass basic um, civil rights protections um, for trans people two, two, two sessions ago now. Um, but in the last session, we extended those rights to every corner of state law um, and codified a really sort of progressive uh, definition of trans identity in the definitions part of state law and also um, transferred the same rights that we had won to language specific to schools. Mm -hmm. So now um, gender variant students are protected by state law in New Hampshire. Incredible. So we were able to do a lot of good work um, in that area. But I also worked on gun violence prevention and minimum wage. Um, perhaps the proudest moment of my first term was being one of the votes that overrode the governor's veto um, on a repeal of the death penalty. So we got rid of the death penalty in New Hampshire. And every single person in the room that day mattered because we had two thirds plus one to override the veto. And if I hadn't been there that day, the vote would have gone the other way. Mm -hmm. um, so that has nothing to do with gender, um, but I'm very proud to have been part of that effort. Yes, yes, of course. So it, it seems to not necessarily be a platform, just you as a person, it is representation, and then you are able to um, do the work you were meant to, meant to do. I, I do think that, um, it's really important that I and my colleague, Jerry Cannon, um, and actually we now have a third trans um, rep in, um, in New Hampshire. Her name is Sarah Lawton, uh, excuse me, no, Stacy, Stacy Lawton. I only just found out about her. She didn't really foreground her identity um, in any way that I noticed before the election. Mm -hmm. In any case, there are three of us now. Um, wow. And um, there's, that's, it's, it's amazing what we can accomplish just by showing up, just by being in every room that we're in serving. Um, it's still the case that only a small fraction of, of people in the United States will say that they've ever met a transgender person, but none of the 400 people serving in, this, in the state legislature in New Hampshire can now say that they've yeah. never met a trans person. And just that, I think, really matters. Of course, it does. And uh, same question for you, uh, Representative Titone. Well, I mean, my, my experience uh, in the Colorado House is a little bit different because um, I represent about 85,000 people. And in, in the last election, uh, over 60,000 people voted in House District 27 for 
the position of House District 27. We had 63,000 people vote for president, uh, but there's always a little bit of drop off for people who just vote for president and that's it. Of course. Um, but I have pretty much, you know, close to 90% turnout. 90% of the people in my district are going to vote and they're going to vote for somebody. They're going to vote for either me or another candidate uh, for this position. So I have to really work hard to win people over. I have mm -hmm. to make sure that they understand what my qualifications are, what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and how I'm going to represent them. And they have to see that it's not just lip service, that I'm going to actually deliver on that. Uh, the first election was particularly difficult because nobody took me seriously. Uh, it was, my race was deemed to be impossible to win. I mean, impossible was the word being thrown around. Right. When you have that kind of voter turnout, in a district that was drawn to be a red district uh, and the amount of Republicans to Democrats has historically been much higher <laughs> and it has been shifting more to, to Democrats, but 41% of my district is unaffiliated. They could vote either way and I have to win them over. So for me, I have to represent the district absolutely i have to represent the district i have to do the work and i have to show them that i'm going to do the work so so for me it, it was finding out what was important to the people in the district and then focusing on those issues highlighting those issues and then delivering on those issues when i got to the state house mm -hmm. and that is kind of where I have to wear two hats. Um, my, my first hat is representing the people of House District 27. That's, that's my main goal. That, that is what I was put here to do. And then my other hat is to represent trans people and to inspire people and to give youth hope for the future. And I have to balance that. I can't be too much in the, uh, I'm a trans person, this is important. Right. Here's why, because now I'm I'm not focusing on my other job, and and I f I found it you know very difficult to try to balance that um, because there were a lot of bills that I fought for before I got to the state house that I was testifying on, um, identity document change uh, laws to to make it easier for trans people to change their their birth certificate and their driver's license, um, banning conversion, conversion therapy. Right. That was a big issue that, that I f helped to fight, uh, fight for. Uh, there's so many issues that we, that we were working on that kept getting killed with, because we didn't have a majority. And I, I could have easily asked to be put on as prime sponsor for those bills, but I had to say, no, I had to say, these are not important to my district. <laughs> and when you have a district that votes 50.4% uh, 50, 50 for me in my first election, <laughs> I don't get a lot of wiggle room there. 
I know that half the people didn't vote for me. And I have to at least extend an olive branch to the people who didn't vote for me by fighting for them, by giving them what they need as best that I can, and still doing the work that, that I really uh, am passionate about uh, when it comes to equality. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a really tough balance to make, but I was able to do that in my first two years because I, I knew what the people wanted. We knocked on 50,000 doors to find out what people wanted and what they, what they were calling for. And then we delivered on that. Uh, I, I ran one bill as a prime sponsor of that was an LGBT bill uh, in 2020. In the last session, there was a gay and trans panic defense bill. Mm-hmm. And that bill was killed because we had to take a break for COVID. We had to vacate the Capitol. And when we came back, that bill ended up on the chopping block. And I said, you know, this is not the time to be putting this kind of bill on the chopping block. It doesn't cost money. We need to do something. We need to get this done. And I pushed, pushed, pushed to get that bill back. And we ended up passing that bill with even more votes than we had the first time it went through the House. And the bill ended up only having one no vote in the entire General Assembly. It was wow. it was 98 to 1. It was one person who wasn't there to vote. Um, and even the guy who did the, the transphobic robocall against me, he voted for that bill. And and that was the only bill that I that I ran that was an LGBT bill that I was the prime sponsor of. Mm-hmm. And nobody can argue that that wasn't something that everybody in that entire body wanted. Right. Of course. It seems it wasn't like, a partisan issue. It seems like it is it's definitely a give and take type situation, um, especially in politics, whether you guys have a, an identity that you're advocating for, but you also have to advocate for the majority as well, um, which unfortunately is not LGBTQ plus people. So um, what would you guys say is the most challenging part of being a trans, a transgender person in, in politics, a transgender woman specifically? Either of you can take that first. There are a certain number of folks, um, a certain number of my colleagues who are evidently uncomfortable with mm. me. Um, it's fascinating to be an able-bodied white trans woman because for many, for decades, I lived as an apparently cisgendered heterosexual right. white man. The height of privilege. Um, I got to experience that particular sort of conglomeration of privilege firsthand. Mm -hmm. And then I went through transition and was able to really understand in a way um, that is not accessible to many people, what it is like to lose a portion of your privilege, specifically going from presenting as male in the world to presenting as female. And it was really noticeable. Um, It was, you know, there's certain folks who I transitioned on a, on a job, a very social job, that program director job that I talked about. So I, I changed my gender, my lived gender with um, a volunteer core of hundreds of people. And among that core, there were people who really started to treat me differently, um, specifically, mostly, not drawing a general conclusion, but just reporting. Most of them were older men. And um, they were just very uncomfortable with me. They wouldn't meet my eyes anymore. They stumbled over my name and pronouns. I had to ask them again and again to stop 
calling me sir or things like that or right. Mr. Um, and then there was the part where they wouldn't listen to me anymore. And since it was the same person in the same context, I could really tell the difference between having a conversation with someone and back in the day when they were reading me as male, they would listen respectfully, take in what I was saying and respond to it. And now these same people were listening in a perfunctory way, nodding, um, but obviously their minds were elsewhere. And then they would just go ahead and say whatever they were going to say um, when I was done. And so you have this twisty reaction where it's like, wow, you're really seeing the difference. You, you're really treating me as a female you jerk um <laughs> yeah that's a catch-22 like oh you see me as yeah. female great but also stop yes but with the misogyny yes. not so much yeah right um, so um i'm happy to report that, that i've traced i faced no overt expressions of transphobia um or prejudice um but it's it's all coded um you know it's it's looks it's stares it's silences um and it's there's just a certain there's way a about someone this comfort factor with some of these folks um which is fine you know uh, you know we still do the work in committee and we still show up to vote and and the the process continues but it has been on occasion um uncomfortable right right and uh, representative titone uh would you say that's the same type of challenge that you face or do you have other challenges that you think are are more apparent more barriers uh i mean my experience is very similar to represent bunker's experience um one thing that that i did feel that made a little bit of a difference was um being elected to a uh, state representative which affords you a bit more privilege. Uh, so, you know, after losing uh, a lot of my privilege, I got a little bit of a bump back uh, because there's a lot of people that, um, you know, by tradition have to treat you a little bit differently as mm -hmm. a state representative. Right. Um, but, you know, still in the building, uh, when we do second reading of bills, we uh, resolve ourselves to the committee of the whole and one member of the house will take the position of the speaker and run the committee of everyone in the house and and when i've taken that position uh in in the speaker's position um it's by tradition that when someone wants to speak down in the well because we, we do things a little bit differently than some state houses uh you go down to the well you raise your hand to be recognized and then the chair will call on them and I will say, you know, Representative Smith, and they will say, thank you, Madam Chair, before they start to speak. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it works. Okay. Uh, there were some people on the Republican side that would refuse to refer to me as Madam Chair. I see. Uh, some of them would deliberately uh, misgender me and they knew that they only got one shot at that before they got the gavel. Uh, and they would always, you know, take that opportunity just to do it on television, of course. Uh, because it's broadcast. And uh, some people would, you know, take that opportunity and then just say, thank you, chair, or thank you, and not even refer to me as the pronoun that I wanted to. So lots of passive aggressive things. Right. Um, I ran a bill that was uh, with some students from my, one of the high schools, they wanted to expand 
uh, access to menstrual hygiene products in schools. Mm -hmm. And one of the members on my own party said that I was not the best messenger for that bill. And I found that to be very offensive because mm -hmm. uh, why? Because I don't have a vagina, uh, mm -hmm. that I'm not the best messenger for that bill. It, you know, it was very passive aggressive microaggression uh, that was put at me. And, um, and these are the kinds of things that, you know, we have to kind of be prepared for right. and have little things to say back <laughs> on the drop of a hat just to make sure that we're saying like, well, yeah, I'm the great messenger for that since the people in my district were the ones that actually brought this bill to me. So right. I'm the perfect messenger for this bill. Right. And, and these are the kinds of things that we have to deal with on a regular basis. Right. Those just little uh, micro things that happen, but they're still noticeable and for sure um, can still hurt uh, at times. So Zoom is telling me that we might get cut off in a little bit, but hopefully we'll get back if something like that happens. But before we do, uh, can you tell us what the most rewarding or what the best part about being uh, a a trans person in politics right now is either one of you can take that. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go first. Um, for, for me there, it was, um, you know, my, my race flew under the radar. So not a lot of people uh, knew who I was. I mean, everyone knew who Danica Rome was. And one of the things that I really want to try to do is to get more people to know who I am because the more people who know who we are, the, be the more benefit that we can get to more people. For sure. But the people that did know about me, you know, sent the, the most beautiful messages and just, you know, the thank yous and, you know, you give me hope. This year, someone sent me a, a note on Instagram saying that I my, my re-election was the best thing that happened in 2020 for them. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, wow. That's, that's pretty incredible. But it's little things like that, you know, knowing that you're making a difference in someone's life, even if it's just five or 10 or 20 people, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm here. You know, I, I'm here to do my job. And then when I put my other hat on, it's, it's that job is to reach those people, to give them hope, to inspire them, to be their best, to shoot for the stars. And, and that's the most rewarding thing. And mm -hmm. it gives me the most joy. I can definitely say that both of you have inspired me for sure. And being in Texas of all places, it's good to see at least in other parts of the country that we have some like representation uh, for the LGBTQ plus community and especially transgender folks who really need a voice out there. And um, I don't know that I have much to add. Um, definitely a sense of, I'm, I'm very happy to with the idea that I am inspiring other folks, especially mm -hmm. younger people, to get involved. This comes up in my writing work, too. I, I do a lot of school visits and library visits and so on as a visiting author. Um, and I meet young children who are interested in writing. And I just try to encourage them. It's like, no matter what anybody, whatever, whatever identity you turn out to be or whatever anybody says about that, you can do whatever you want. You totally can run for office. You can be a published author. You can et cetera, et cetera. There are no limits based on identity. And there, well, there's, there are a few because there are people who are reactive of to course. various identities in the world, but there shouldn't be. And we are fighting for a world where there will be fewer and fewer such limits. Right. Um, and I'm just 
I'm excited to be part of that battle mm -hmm. to be, and just to be helping people. I mean, as I said a little earlier, I feel a strong impulse to public service. Um, and I just, I have a deep sense of satisfaction that right. I'm helping real humans with real problems. Of course. For the last couple minutes, can we talk about what advice you might give other transgender folks out there that may be looking uh, to go into politics really quick? Uh, well, one thing I've always said, um, you know, since since I was elected that, I mean, I don't have a magic formula uh, on how to do it, but, you know, my race was and still is the most difficult race in Colorado to win. Mm. Um, and, you know, w when it comes to a race like this, I have something to add, but running a campaign in Colorado is different than running a race in other districts in mm. other states. When I spoke to Delegate Rome about her race, you know, she said, you know, what's your road? What are you going to do about fixing your road in your district? And I said, well, I can't do that. I don't, I can't raise money to fix a road. And she's like, really? Why not? I was like, Colorado law doesn't allow me to do it. And, you know, so, you know, how much money are you going to raise? I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars. Like why so little? <laughs> well, my campaign finance limits are $400. So mm -hmm. I can't raise a lot of money. So everybody has a little bit of a different barrier or, or obstacle that gets in the way of, of having a magic formula that, that can get things to happen. But when it really comes down to it, fundamentally, every race is really run the same way. And, you know, I, I came up with a, a great team of people who uh, were really passionate about doing it. I got the training from the Victory Institute. Uh, I also went to Emerge, and you know, organizations like that will help get you the the training that you need. And you know, when when you get that training and you find the people that that can help you, I always leave my door open for people to to ask me questions or you know have a a short conversation about what the race is about, what the struggles are, what the obstacles are, how can we do it? And I'm happy to 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 spread that knowledge around to make sure that you know we're, we're helping each other out because you know just like i i do in my job i, I want to lift people up i also want to lift people up you know in other places too because uh, the more the merrier well we there's plenty of room on the bench for for our caucus to grow and we we grew our caucus uh, quite a bit this year and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing that that bench expand even further and come 2022 and 2024. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited to see the uh, the future of transgender folks in, in politics and in leadership, for sure. Before we get cut off, hopefully, thank you both for seeing me and interviewing with me today. I really, really appreciate it. And I'll let you all know when, uh, when it, the episode comes out. Thank you so much. All right, folks, it looks like we got a little cut off there because of Zoom technology, unfortunately. However, I would like to again thank Representative Bunker and Representative Titone for coming on and really giving us a look at what it's like to be a transgender person in leadership and what it's like to be a transgender person in politics. Of course, there's plenty more information that we could touch on and hopefully I'll get to talk to some more people and we'll get some more information about where transgender leadership is going in the future. And I, I think it is bright considering the November 2020 elections. If you guys did have any other questions that I didn't get to, I am so 
so sorry, folks. Just go ahead and private message or direct message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the Planet 100.7, the station we are based out of. I love to get those questions answered. At the very least, I can give you guys some resources that you guys can find the answers to those questions. I hope this has helped you folks learn a little bit more. It certainly helped me learn a little bit more about what it's like to be in office and what it's like to be a representative of a minority group in office. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to check back with us as we get into the holiday season. We might be taking a little bit of a break for a couple weeks during the winter break during December and January just to get some extra content for you guys and we will be back for sure in January. Keep checking back here for updates on that and I'll let you guys know. For now, be safe out there folks and take care. Carlson Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Carissa Cole. Find more great shows by searching Carlson Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.